what's going on guess what found another one of the lost files uh that uh, the google drive actually uh coughed up so i have another one for you guys um this one is uh one of my favorite lifters a lot of you guys' favorite lifter um mr jp price um this dude benches benches you know five six hundred pounds squats a thousand eleven hundred pounds pulls seven eight hundred pounds like he's just an absolute beast of an individual just walking this planet man and there's there's only a few giants that 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 i know um, that move the kind of weight that he he moves, man. So it's uh, it's gonna be exciting uh, for you guys uh, to listen in on this one. This was right after I believe uh, when did the current open. Uh, so it's been a little bit, but like I said, these lost files, man. You kind of kind of have to dig a little bit to to get them. So I'm excited to be able to present this one to you guys, um, dude. We talk about well, obviously we talk about training, we talk about lifting, we talk about the current, we talk about him, you know, uh, being on a, a wobbly stage with uh, over a thousand pounds on his back and, and still taking it like a G. Um, of course, we talk music, man. Um, he's definitely one of uh, one of my favorites when it comes to music taste. Uh, he's a hardcore kid like myself, um, you know, and, and he's coming at you all the way from Kansas City, Missouri. So um, I think you guys are really gonna enjoy this one because this one was, uh, this is definitely one of, hand, uh, one of the ones that I really, really enjoyed. So with no further ado, I give you Mr. JP Price. This is The Corner of the Circle. We'll get it rolling, man. I think I think we're live. Pretty sure we're live. And if not, we'll just, you know what? I'll have to call you back and we'll just redo another one. Um, we're live, Corner of the Circle. We got the man. Um, he's definitely no myth. He's uh, he's a living legend. Uh, Mr. J.P. Price. I mean, um, I, there's only so much that, that one can interview and, and introduce and, and talk about his adjectives and verbs and nouns and things that describe this guy. Freaking, you know, thousand pound plus squat. Um, there's legit a handful of people that can squat over 900 and even less of a handful of people of that handful that can squat, um, well over a thousand pounds. Um, he's been the subject of a few, you know, uh, booty popping memes, uh, from his, uh, his walkout <laughs> with, uh, with, uh, a thousand bands, uh, at the, uh, at the Kern. And you know what? Not a lot of people can, can hell, not a lot of people can just even unrack a thousand pounds, let alone walk it out. So again, I'm sure I'll just keep, you know, blowing smoke and, and, you know, giving this guy, you know, all the praise and, and freaking, uh, I mean, pluses and pluses and pluses that, that he's due. Mr. J.P. Price, thank you very, very, very much for being on. Um, this, this honestly means a lot of this. It's, uh, I mean, I can say it's an honor, but I'm pretty sure I've said it already, but thank you very much for being on. Um, so where are you located? I'm in Kansas City, Missouri, up in the north side. Ooh, KC. All right. That's all right, so I'm trying to think. Ah, I gotta, gotta. Exit. I knew this area would be great for me because the school that I live closest to, their mascot is a lumberjack. Oh God! So you're, <laughs> you're right at home. You're right at home. How yeah. I, uh, yeah, man, I had a an, an uh, old flame that lived, lives in Kansas City. Oh man, those Midwest I girls, live, dude. I live right by the airport. Oh man, yeah, she's a, uh, you know, she was from the area. She's not. 
like from like Green Valley, I believe. So I don't even think that's out of the country. Yeah, so yeah, a little little Midwest country girls. Ah, my weakness. Anyways, moving on. That's <laughs> man. So um, we'll you know we'll talk a little bit about lifting, a little bit about you know just a little bit of everything, man. But I mean, a question I always want to know. Uh, again, I know people get tired of me asking the question, but I always want to ask: When was it that you figured out that you were stronger? Not necessarily strong. I mean, people are strong, but when when was that moment that it kind of hit you? Like, hey, I'm actually stronger than than most people. Like, was it a uh, young it was, thing? It was really early in my life, actually. It's kind of funny you ask that because I can look back and remember the first time people told me I was strong. Oh yeah, I was, I was in fourth grade. Oh and my gosh. <laughs> I was nine years old and I was at a football camp at a high school in my hometown in Topeka. And we were walking through the weight room and they were talking about, you know, because they were also trying to recruit people to their school. Right. And they were like, hey, here's our weight room. You know, there's football players in here. And they were like letting us lay down on the bench. And there was one plate on the bar and I ripped it out. Of course. <laughs> and uh, and they were, I was just like, put it back on the thing. And they were like, you serious? Like, that's something that these high schoolers, some of them can't do. And I was nine years old and they were like, that's really good. And I was always a big kid, but right. I was kind of short, I was short and fat and, uh, still am. And, uh, when I was, uh, about in sixth or seventh grade, I was short and fat and had no confidence. And, uh, I got into, my parents got me into working out. They got me a guy to you know work out with a trainer that kind of showed me around. And so I went to this little gym in uh, Topeka that I grew up in. And it was a privately owned gym that was like more of a bodybuilder's gym. And uh, they let me work out there. They let me use machines from the age of 12 to 14. And then on my 14th birthday, they escorted me into the free weight room. Oh. To stand in the doorway and just watch. Oh, you know? man. And there were police officers in there that were big and firefighters and a couple bodybuilders that I looked up to. And so my dad took me in there and taught me how to lift weights. And then I was a gym rat ever since. So when I went to high school... I could bench 225 and deadlift, or uh, and hang clean 225 and squat 400 when I was 14. Oh my god! And then the next year, when I was 15 and nine months, I had a weightlifting class three days a week. Plus, I was in there every time they let me be there. And in nine months, I went from 225 to 315 on the bench and uh, the hang clean. And then my uh, squat went to 530 all in nine months. Dang! And so that's when I. I was stronger than everybody. I was just genetically predisposed to being a strong individual. And part of that was probably being shorter, but I wanted to play football in college. Right. In order to do that, if you're not tall, you have to be very strong and fast. Yep. I, I'm right there with you. That was, that's, that's literally speaking to, me. That's what I had to do then. So that's when I realized I was way stronger than most people around me. So by my sophomore year of high school, I was the strongest guy in my high school. My freshman year of college on the first day, I was the strongest guy there. Jeez. And it's just, and it's just kind of just, it's just kind of gets kept increasing over, just over and over, just over the years. So like you've, it's, you've always been a strong guy and like, and yeah. so, so like, I mean, I think that the thing that, you know, that I've always not necessarily wanted to know, but the, a thing that always, you know, intrigued me about like people, you know, like yourself and a lot of the guys and guys and girls I've talked to is, you know, with the exception of, of a couple, most people, you know, you either are told or you figure out early, like uh, so much earlier than people. I, I, say, I say the average, Joe. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that start later and they, you know, they, they discover that they're, they're stronger. But I found with a lot of you guys that, you know, that 
those champion caliber, those super elite level, you know, those one percenters out there that just are just otherworldly strong. You guys find out early how much stronger you are than, than the average person. And it's just been kind of, honestly, over the last, I want to say eight months, it's been kind of cool. Just one, doing this podcast, but two, just kind of, you know, seeing that, that, that pattern that's kind of like, it seems to develop. Like it's not a strength to something that I mean you can develop, you can get stronger, but it's but this, this otherworldly strength is something that it's, it's God given. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's ingrained in your genes. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Of course, you know, I, you know, I have a, uh, my nerd bud is a, we, we always talk about, well, you know, there's, we call it the, the alpha gene. There's some people that just have that, that alpha gene that, you know, I guess earlier in, you know, I guess our, our ancestors, we should say that, you know, that, you know, you have those that, you know, your hunter gatherers and you had your, you know, the, the, what have you, all the, the different types. You have those that, that died off from disease. You had those that were killed off from, you know, right. whatever, you know, whatever was out there. And then you had what was left. And you start seeing a product of what was left in terms of the, the stronger, the faster, the smarter ones. And though you get a combination of those with a lot of people, it seems like a lot of the stronger people, you know, genetically, you start seeing that pattern of, damn, dude, you were, you know, you weren't even in your teens before you figured out. I, I was, I think I was like 12 or 13 when I was like, oh, I'm actually stronger than these guys. Mind you, I, you know, I was the exact opposite. I ran away. I hated weights. I hated lifting. I hated anything. I just didn't like, I think I didn't mind bench pressing, but I didn't like putting that bar on my back. I didn't like the way it felt. Fast forward to present day, I absolutely love it. I feel like I don't get a, a decent session in unless I have some type of pressure on my back. My CNS feels like it's about to snap, but it's, it's, it's crazy to see how, you know, how that's kind of progressed. Um, a thing that you that you you did talk about like earlier um, was just you know how you know you you didn't have a lot of confidence you know earlier. Now it kind of uh, you know how your your parents you know kind of got you in the gym you know to help the confidence. That's you know I'm sure that you know you, like you said before you work with you work with some young kids and everything and um, that's something you, that I've noticed at least with my little cousins and stuff. You know I you know I I feel like with my family we have a kind of a mixture. You know you have our our little chubby ones. We have our tall, skinny ones, and it seems like the little chubby ones. I was kind of right. I was kind of the short, thick one, like the husky one, right in between. And you know, I never really, you know, had confidence issues, but I always felt for my, you know, my cousins that I grew up with, in, in the ones I have now, that you know, that confidence thing, you know, just based off of body image and body appearance and how people treat you. Tell me how, or I should say, us. Tell me how that, you know, that 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 kind of affected you. Not necessarily, you know, the the the. The esteem issues then, but how you, how your self esteem and all that the confidence grew as a result of just getting in the gym and just kind of grinding out. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're a little fat kid, and you know, I was decent at sports growing up, but I wasn't great. I was, you know, probably chubbier and slower than most people. And uh, I think everybody wants to feel good, right? Right. And my dad was an athlete. My mom was an athlete. And uh, everybody wants to feel good, and it made me feel good to achieve things in sports. Right. So. I knew to be better at sports, I had to lift weights. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I started playing football when I was 11, and I was good at that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, well, tackle football, so I played flag before that, but I was good at football, and so I wanted to be better at it, so I started lifting weights. And then I got into wrestling, too. And wrestling's the one where in sixth grade, I had no confidence, I was super fat, the singlets, my titties were hanging out the sides, and I didn't want to do that sport anymore. It sucked. It was not for me. 
And then my football coach in seventh grade that was the eighth grade coach told us if we wanted to play football, we were required to wrestle. Oh, man. Which you couldn't do anymore, but we had 70 kids on the wrestling team, and I won the city championship. Oh, shit. And I was like, oh, well, now I like it because I'm good at it. (laughs) (laughs) You're strong enough. You could, you know, muscle people around. Oh, yeah. And I was always real coordinated. I also, I roller skate. I inline skated and roller skated four to five nights a week and worked at the rink from like 12 years old to 16. And I have to believe that's where my coordination and my hips and my squat came from. Oh yeah, I mean I'm I'm a firm believer. Like you know, a thing that we always we always joked about. It's it's crazy. I'm, I'm dude, you're you're perfect. This interview is absolutely awesome. Um, <laughs> a thing we always joked about, um, but it always kind of held true, especially when I got to college. You know, was our linemen, our big boys, had the best hands, and they always had the sweetest feet. And it you we never really knew why, but I mean it was always one of those things where you know we'd. Uh, We'd have the the specialty versus alignment, and you know they would get us out in front of the uh, um, the, the the punt machine, point that thing right toward us. Like, all right, you got to run in place, do a seat roll, stand up. They're gonna shoot the you know sh- uh, shoot the ball at you. And even though we work with that thing every single practice, you get you know eight feet in front of it. It doesn't matter who you are. That thing's you know it's it's coming out at a blistering speed. And they would always take our center and they would take our nose and they would take one of our receivers and usually myself or another one of the receivers. And it would be two on two and whoever caught the most after the seat roll and everything, you know, especially guys would have to run. We would have to do gassers and obviously the, the linemen, they wouldn't have to. They'd get water. So we, we would do that. And no joke. I'd be falling all over, tripping all over my feet. You know, I'm going to jam my thumb so many times, man, and our line would just boom every single time, boom every single time. And it's crazy that even, you know, it, it's honestly, it's kind of cool that you said that because, like, honestly, in terms of just coordination, I, I don't think that they give, you know, they don't give big guys a lot of credit in terms of the coordination. I mean, they see you in terms of just, like, you're this big mass, not necessarily just on the field, but just this, this big mass that's just standing in existence and, not necessarily that's all you're good for, but it's just you're this big, this big being. Not realizing that, I mean, it honestly takes, I don't, in my opinion, it takes just as much, if not, you know, twice as much coordination to be a bigger guy and not necessarily do what the regular people do, but to be able to do it in you know, an effective and efficient manner because you're just yeah. so massive. Um, like that's just, it's kind of cool that, 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 that you, that you say that. Cause I was like, dude, that's, Hell yeah, that's awesome. I mean, because like as you're talking, like it, it reminds me of my my old uh, my old workout partner. His name was Daniel Kelly, and dude, he was a big country boy. And you know, when we when I first met him, like he was he was from Dawson, Texas, and Dawson, Texas is about this big around. And <laughs> and you know, kid from small town Texas, he was a he's a he's a bigger kid, young faced guy. And you know, I mean, you could tell he, he got teased a lot in school. So when we got obviously when we when we got to school and you know he's wrong with us I mean I'm I'm not necessarily the most confident person on earth but you know I'm one of those guys like you know what dude you're you're recruited here you know you're you're amazing that you do you're a starter you know you were you know all state lineman so obviously you know you you know you have your worth but I mean a lot of times you know he did like I did I I hid by you know like my my complexion sucked like a, a lot when I was in high school so behind a mask. I was cool. Like it didn't, you know what I mean? Like they just knew that kid could play football. That was it, you know? And 
you know, even it was even to the point where, you know, I bought, you know, it's weird that I'm even saying this now because like I I think back on it and all my buddies always had the clear shields. I, I got the mirror shield just so they couldn't see my face. I didn't want right. the I didn't want the, you know, the, the news reporter zooming in and getting like, you know, all the zits and stuff all on my face. So right. I, you know, I'm like, hey, man, I'm gonna go with the clear shield. And it while it looked cool, it you know, I felt almost like Darth Vader, almost like invisible, you know, like you can't necessarily see me. While, like I said, my confidence was never like super low. The lowest it ever you know, always was is when my face my face would break out. So when you was talking about the confidence and you know all of that, that's just you know as random as I can be in this interview. Like it's that's like you're saying a lot of things that are kind of triggering like these these old memories, man. So when when was it for you? You know after you know all the work and, and you know and obviously being blessed in both you know football arena, lifting arena, and of course you know in wrestling. When was it that you know was there like a turning point where your confidence was kind of like you know what? You know, I, I know my worth. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not that guy anymore. Yeah. I kind of, we had a little bit rough in our house when I was in middle school and like late elementary school mm-hmm. and early high school. So from those years of like 11 years old or 10 years old, to uh-huh. maybe 15 or 16. And then it kind of got better at that point. But I had a lot of friends in seventh and eighth grade that were probably pretty terrible mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, getting in an excessive amount of trouble at that age. Oh yeah. Uh, and I was always a sweet kid, and I was kind of tagging along for it, but I was there, too, and making oh, yeah. bad decisions with them. And uh, it ended up being pretty scary for me. And and I was like, well, I don't want to hang out with these people anymore, right. but if I don't, then I won't have any friends. Yeah. But I was good at sports. And I was like, well, I want to continue to be good at sports, and I'm never going to talk to my friends ever again, and then I'm going to make new friends. And so when I went into high school, I went basically like with no friends. Jeez. And so then I was like, all right, but I'm good enough at sports. I can make friends. Right. And so I made friends and I've always been nice and sweet. And like, I've always just been that kind of kid. And, uh, I had a great experience in high school. I was in band, student government, um, wrestling, football. I was at school every day from 6am until 8pm almost. And, uh, so I just got super involved in school. Like I hardly ever even dated anybody. I was just right. so busy with what I was doing. And, uh, I ended up, I was the homecoming king at my school. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so I just was friends with everybody. I've always been the kind of guy where I've had a million, like, friends. Oh, but yeah. nobody that I've ever been close to. Right. And that's always bothered me a little bit because I know people who, I was just on a fishing trip with my uncle and three of his friends that he grew up in elementary school were with him. I've what? not even talked to three people from my elementary school in the last Dang. Five years. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, that's, so. yeah, that's crazy. That's so I mean, I've always just been close with everybody that was around me at the time. Like now when I'm at the gym, I'm close to everybody there. Right. You know, if I went to a different career, I'd probably be close to everybody there. But I never had those tight friends, and it's probably because I had those years of transition. Right. But they also made me grow up super fast, so I never was a screw up after that. You True know? story. Well, yeah, I mean, some I mean, I think, you know, but I mean it's it's committable because I Honestly, I mean, I don't even, I don't, honestly, I don't even know how the younger generation even thinks nowadays, but to make that decision, you know, in terms of, I don't want to be a screw up. So you're going to have to literally sever, like sever friendships with people, you know I mean? And that's, that's a huge transition. You know I mean? Everybody knows that transition from junior high to high school. That's huge. Well, one of those, out of my three best friends at that time, one of them had a kid in high school. One of them died the next year in a car crash and when he was running from the cops Jeez. and then another one, I don't even know what's happened to him. So, um, the, the odds weren't good, man. And so something had to be different. 
And there was some like lonely time in there, but it worked itself out. And sports oh, yeah. and weightlifting was kind of what got me confident at all. And, uh, and that just kind of grew. And I think wrestling is what got me competitive. Like football was easy to be good at. Yeah. Um, wrestling was tough to be good at. And, uh, I got this weird, like confidence and, and insane competitiveness where like, I know for a fact, you're probably faster than me, but I'll race you right now. Like if we weren't in different States, I would challenge you to a race. Yeah, I mean, because you competitive spirit. Like, and I don't care if I lose, but I'm going to try. And then if I lose, I'm like, whatever, you're a good runner. And then if I beat you, then I can rub it in all day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you sound a well, lot like me. To a race. Yeah. yeah, I think, and I, I think, you know, I, um, I, I've, I've more and more started, you know, kind of, kind of seeing, you know, in terms of just, again, it's just, I'm just, I don't know if I'm just weird like that, but I look for patterns in everything, you know, and, one of the patterns, again, that, that I've noticed is everyone in some form or fashion, especially if you're a top-level athlete, doesn't matter what sport, what your discipline, what your, what your mastery is, they have this competitive streak. And they can be the nicest person on God's green earth, you know, you know, have, you know, you know, puppies and kittens all over the place, just be the nicest person, you know, visit the old folks' home on a daily basis, you know, just nicest people. But when it comes to their discipline, when it comes to just competitiveness at all, and when it's time to win versus lose, they're going to do not necessarily whatever it takes to win, but they're going to, you know, they can do whatever they can to put themselves in the best position to win. I'll and, give you a funny quick story about that. So I'm like one of the nicest guys that I know. I mean, I'm like real sensitive and I can get emotional real quick. Especially oh, join, the, my join the club, join the club. Oh man, that's like so easy for me. Like I probably cried two days this week. And, uh, <laughs> I, I cried last night watching The Good Doctor. You know, I I think I went like all through high school and college and like ten or twelve years without ever crying, and then I like had kids and it was over. Um, the uh, so when I was at the U.S. Open though, I'm really competitive. Right. When I was at the U.S. Open uh, two years ago, Zahir uh, Kudairov or whatever you say his name. He was trying to squat 1050 for his opener. Yep. And he dropped it into the straps. And the guy handling me was like, What just happened? I said, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't care. He missed his attempt. Good for him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> He's like, Why am I so mean? <laughs> you know, like, you know I, I you, okay, so in, in terms of, you know, because I was, I like, I love knowing this about people. So, what type of, I don't even know what I, it's hard to really pinpoint the type of competitor people, you know, people can be, um, overall. I mean, so you're, you know, I think it was Lane Norton, Lane Norton, you know, uh, he actually pointed out, he's like, you, he pointed out, he goes, for me, he's like, goes, I would, people consider me more, I'm a mean competitor, but outside I'm nice. He's like, I feel like he's like, LS, you're a nice competitor, but outside you're mean, you know? I'm like, well, yeah, kind of, sort of, um, so would you consider yourself like, you know, in the heat of battle, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're, you know, not necessarily a mean competitor, but you're not that go around shaking people's hands, like, you know, slapping, you know, slapping hands. Okay. Good luck out there. Like you're one of those, Hey, I'm, I'm going to treat within myself. You know, it's just, it's me pretty much me, my music, you know what I mean? My nose torque, I'm gonna go out there. I'm destroying everything. And then when it's over with, we can be buddies or I think actually at the open, it was kind of funny because like Brandon Allen and I, we talked a lot of crap heading up to it just because oh. we knew it was fun. Oh, Brandon. And, uh, and so we had like a pretty fun time with it and we talked crap the whole day. And then anybody that came around us, they got it too. But 
<laughs> but we had fun the whole time. Like it wasn't, it was never uptight or anything. And honestly, like when I compete, I'll be like, I'm businesslike, not high strung. Yeah. I'm pretty relaxed. I'm pretty laid back by right. now, but I'm a little bit professional. Yeah. Up until the second squat's over. And then when the second squat's over, I have fun the rest of the day. That's, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, for me, it's just once squats are over with, I feel like a weight's just off of my shoulders. Um, it is. Like I just, <laughs> true. I, I don't know what it is about squat. You know, squats one of those things I've worked so hard to 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 obviously obviously get better at. Um, you know, but I always feel like I've yet to do a meet where I'm like, you know what, let's load this bad boy up and really do what we can do. I'm always too afraid to really you know put it out there because I just yeah, I just never know. I'm like I'd rather. You know, leave weight out there. You know, leave a little bit more weight than than I should out there. Maybe make up for it and bench a little bit, and then you know, see what I have left in the tank for deadlift. But I me, mean, but I've never, I've never had a meet where I'm like, you know what, I'm about to kill it with these squats. I just, I'm not confident enough yet, and you know, in just my first attempt, I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm about 99.9% sure I'm gonna get it. Second attempt. Pretty much same way. I think I'm about 95% that thing's going to go up. But with the third, I always feel like I do something. I get in my own head. I don't know what it is. So I just, I feel like I, I don't, I always have fun, but I feel like I, I feel like this huge thing of pressure on me until, honestly, until I get the squat call. And then as soon as he gives me a squat call, I'm like, all right, you know what? It's a wrap. So it doesn't matter now at this point. At uh, the only time I've ever... I mean, the last time I remember missing a squat in competition is the U.S. Open obviously just happened. But before that, I don't know that I – I mean, I've, I've missed one on a second attempt, but I came back and got it for my third. But, I mean, in the 20 years, the 22 years I've lifted weights, I just don't remember missing more than two or three squats. Jeez, that must be nice. And so I've been really confident and calculated and had really good choices probably – but uh, the only time that I've really ever had that backfire on me was this year. So, um, you know, yeah. it's, it sucked because it put me in a place I've never been in before, you know? Well, I mean, I, I want to talk about that a little bit, man, because, I mean, I know a lot of people had, you know, they really, I mean, they didn't necessarily hammer it, but they, they talked about it a lot in terms of just how how unstable the staging felt uh, being out there. And, I mean, just, you know, seeing you walk out, and like honestly, just watching, literally watching you stabilize the entire time before you're making descent, I was like, dude, this is. It didn't. And it's the weird thing. I think you know, I've never had anything close to a thousand pounds, thousand plus pounds on my back. So I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what seven fifty feels like. You know, walking out. And so I'm like, I recognize like you know what, that, that's a that's a strong walkout just on an unstable surface, and. Right. It you know it didn't necessarily look scary as it did more concerning like you know what are they gonna do something about it are they gonna brace the stage down like what are they gonna do but at that point it's the heaviest squat you know what I mean so it's like what are you gonna do by that time it seems like if they had braced the staging had they you know it's not like it was you know it was like it was the heaviest squat so I mean it had to be honest like you don't know how staging elevated staging or not. You don't know how it's gonna, you know, react to weight that heavy because, like, who the fuck's gonna actually walk out a thousand plus pounds? Yeah, they never, they never knew. Now it ended up, you know, hurting a lot of people that day. Yeah, and 
overall, but they didn't know. And I mean, it even affected people in the 700s a bit. But right. the first day, nobody was up that high, so yeah. they didn't know. And then, uh, so we warmed up with those bars, and I warmed up with one of them, and it was fine. I had a little bit of a bad warm-up at like 7-something, but then my 8.35 for my last warm-up was fine. And uh, so when I went out there, my, my opener, 9.50, which I'd done four times in right. training, um, and I doubled 9.25 four months ago, um, my opener, 9.53, um, I took five steps with it. I've only ever in my whole... Ever since I squatted 800, I've only ever taken two steps on a walkout. Really? Oh, two. my. Woo. Two steps is my longest walkout I've ever had since I did 800, including 1,000, including whatever. And so I took five steps on my opener. Oh, wow. And then I was like, okay, this is jacked up. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why it's this bad. I don't know if it's the bar stage or a combination of the two. Um, the stage for sure. Um, but then I squatted it, and the weight was easy. So I was like, yeah. okay, that's fine. I can get through another one, no big deal. So then when a thousand came up and like a lot of people, you know, almost got hurt. Rob Philippus fell down and then got back up. Yeah. And, uh, Herbert had an issue. Um, there were people skipping attempts. Like it, it was not good. Yeah. Um, Yuri only did two attempts cause he didn't want to do a third on that stage. Um, so that part of it was jacked up and it was too late to do anything about it. And also, like, you know, I don't want to blame the bar by any means because I've never used that bar on a 1,000 pounds on a flat surface. Yeah. But they probably shouldn't have changed the bars two days before the meet started when I was practicing with a Texas squat bar the whole year. Yeah, so that's what, like, that was my, my question. So they, they used the... Meet had that bar, and it's not fair that three people had that bar and nobody else did. Oh, that it's that, uh, that uh, Kabuki bar or the... I mean... So what was it? It wasn't a squat bar. It was just a regular, regular forty-five bar. Or was it? Was no, it a squat it was bar? A, it was a Kabuki squat bar, and the knurling on it was actually the whole bar had knurling on it. What? It was insane. It was it stuck to your back like glue, which was amazing. But it'd been it nice to have been able to practice with it. So everybody that had one at home also said it did not feel the same as theirs at home. So I just didn't understand why we we're using prototypes and knew about it two days before the meet. That just didn't seem right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it's cool that they're trying new things and different things, but that just wasn't the thing to change. Yeah, that uh, may have been something that you want to look at. Like, you know, let's let's put about a month of testing into it before we put it out there. Or, I mean, the thing is, you it it's a cool the way I look at it is like this. It's it's a cool gamble if everybody ends up liking the bar. You know, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, we tried that new. We had the new Kabuki squat bar. That thing's amazing. But you know, when and you know, and I you know, kind of how you mentioned earlier about it, it it. It's a combination. It could have been a combination of things in terms of the staging, in terms of just the bar, you know, in terms of the setting and everything else. I mean, so it, it's almost like rather than having, you know, a lot of good things or two, two or three good things that happened, it seems like there was just a bunch of little bad things that kind of contributed right. to, you know, it, it being a less than, you know, a less than pleasant experience at, you know, an otherwise star studded freaking dude. That was well, that thing was so loaded. What sucks about it, though, is, one, I'm not an excuse maker. Right. Or punk. So I don't want to talk about it that much. But right. But it also happened. So Yeah. And and there are people who did better than me on it. And that's so I could have been better. That's right. my fault. But, um, yeah, it just sucked. I just sucked to go out that way, you know? Oh, yeah. Bench went fine and deadlift was what it was. Right. But, 
I mean, even the the Kabuki deadlift bar broke that Yuri used, and then they had to replace it. So, oh, uh, it's yeah. I think you know. I mean, they they got some good data from it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure they got they got some good data based off of you know. I'm I mean, not, I'm not blaming anybody. No. But now that they know, don't do that again. No, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lesson learned, you know. And at the same time, in terms of you know, um, the meat director, like let's maybe make sure that we have you know some more reliable equipment of course and maybe the only you know the, the the hard part i think because i i felt for you I, i'll say this i've never and i probably never will ever have a thousand plus pounds on on my squat but um i had a similar situation when i was in uh when i was in canada this past year there's was, there was El- second where kelly got all jacked up um because he sent me that video and was like, "Brother, I feel you. Look at this." Oh no, that was that was a couple years ago. In uh, actually, it's been a couple times that Kelly got jacked, but he got jacked up real bad. I think it was. In, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, when he was when he almost got pinned and, and damn near killed. Yeah, that was yeah. that was in Texas, and I was front row center when that happened. Um, so yeah, he was commiserating with me. He was oh, like, "Dude, man. I felt that, and it sucks." Like it's. It's bad. I think I think it's even worse that when it happens to you know a bigger guy because one you're just so massive. It's not like I'm just gonna hop and pop from out of this thing. And right. two, the part that's even worse is because there's so much weight, <laughs> so much weight. There's like it seems like there's like twenty spotters out there. So yeah. it's like you have half of them trying to save the weight, half of them trying to save you. You know, and another two or three that are just like just trying to get out of the way. They don't know what's going on. So it's almost like a frenzy because no, first of all, no one can really do that weight aside from, let's be honest, the man that's under the bar. <laughs> so the thing is they had great spotters. Yeah. And when I was walking a thousand out, I couldn't stop walking. They said what actually happened, uh, you know the guys from uh Australia that run the big dogs meet yeah. and uh Marcos. Yeah. So Emod was there and he was videoing it and he actually showed me when I stepped, the, the stage would move under my feet. Yeah. And so he was showing me that. And then I would have never stopped walking. I couldn't stop my momentum because you get a momentum with a 1,000 yeah. pounds. You can't stop. Right. And then I took my eighth step, and the spotter grabbed me by the hips, and I stopped moving. I just set my feet and squatted. I, I couldn't do it again. It took too much out of me. Right. You know, I was doing a backwards yoke walk with a 1,000, so the spotter mm-hmm. actually stopped me. I wish I would have known ahead of time that I could do that so I could have him stop me in two steps. Oh, yeah. Like, you almost stopped me six steps prior to that. Yeah, let's – that's crazy. I um, I was – yeah, I, I was I was kind of just watching this kind of how, like – and it was just – it was just, you know, it, it's it's going to give up under the weight. And, um, you know, the fact that you have to have somebody, you know, kind of – kind of stop you like i again i never never got a chance to actually look at the surface i tried to pause a couple times i, I tried to rewind it and look and kind of pause and look at the surface but it looked like what well, you know similar to what we had in canada a couple years ago and i mean anytime you're on staging like that it's just and i think once you go over 600 pounds that staging is not meant for it i mean even with my weight and that weight combined that's like 800 pounds it's not meant for anything more than six or 700 pounds to be at one pressure point and it's just you know i just kind of felt it swaying and so like they actually um as we were like we didn't i took a couple warm-ups under and, I, and it, it felt unstable with like 500 so they went yeah. in they had to like re-drill around it mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where you know i know that they want people to be able to see it but 
I almost feel like you, again, I, I'm a big fan of how weightlifting does a lot of their, their stuff. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, even like they're, you know, not the biggest meets, but, you know, even at, I believe it was the uh, the American Open, you know, they, they had uh, bleachers. I mean, even yeah. if you want to put your people in bleachers, put it on a flat surface, that's a little bit safer, a lot of bit safer actually for the lifter. You know? Yeah. I mean, so it's just, it's one of those things where, like I said, it's it's super impressive to watch. I mean, if everything goes well, it's yeah. like, oh, should you see JP just bear that, just stand up with like it was nothing? That's crazy. You know, well, and then it, when those things happen, have you ever been in that situation and everything goes in slow motion? Oh, yeah. I thought about it the whole time that I'm going to be so freaking pumped that I did it in this circumstance and not perfect. Yeah, true. And true, then true. I failed. So then it was over. But <laughs> Well, Ben, and then, of course, here's the thing, though. Then you have to look at how many times a thousand plus has even been attempted in, I want to say, the last couple years. Yeah. That's just... You know, it's 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 like less than a hundred still. You know what I mean? That's even been attempted in meets. You know what I mean? Like, so right. the way I look at it is like, well, even though you know, even though it didn't go as planned, you know, the fact that you 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 were able to go out there and even you know, closely execute it, considering the conditions that you were under, you know, that's that's a win back in itself. When I did it the first time, back when I did it the first time, I think I was the fifth guy to ever attempt a thousand. That's insanity, man. Like I don't. But- there's been a lot more since, but that's the other part that pisses you off is it's like, okay, so over the last two years, did I not get stronger? Well, what kind of a shitty weightlifter, weightlifter am I? Oh, now? my God. You are preaching to the choir. I <laughs> I keep looking. Because I've never not gotten stronger, no matter what I've tried. Right. And now, all of a sudden, I'm, okay, was this what it is to be 34? Shit. No, you know, I take that because I'm 39 and freaking I'm I'm getting stronger. At least I like to, <laughs> I like to think right. I am. I, I honestly, you know, I feel like a lot of it is just conditions, you know, I mean, because I, I guarantee you, you know, considering I mean, I'm just put it. Let's just be real. Let's you took basically 10 steps. You did a 10 step walkout on, you know, on a cushion surface and you still you still attempted, you know what I'm saying, a thousand plus, which I'm not gonna lie to you, I would have after three steps, I'm like, all right, re-rack, I'm done. I, I I know that I would have. I just I don't think yeah. I would have been zapped. Afterwards, everybody's like, you know, you know, oh, you'll get it on your next one. And I'm like, dude, I'm not trying that again. Uh-uh. And you know, and then he, then I'm like, man, I'm going out like a little bitch, cuz. <laughs> but, but the thing is, you're not really, I mean, you're actually you know what? That's that's what After that first time I felt like it was not possible. Yeah. Well, and that and that's what, you know, being a seasoned lifter, that's what being 34 not being 24. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Cuz I guarantee you, you know, uh, a 24-year-old you would have like, fuck it, let's do it. Let's do it again. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Like, send it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But so for this time, like, you know, that's been one of the the the, the craziest things is when I, you know, when I First started lifting, you know what I mean? Even though like, I started late, even with, with the whole lifting thing, I would look at these guys lifting. I was like, wait, why is he, why didn't he take that last attempt? Like, why, did, why didn't he go back out? Like, why did he only do two attempts? He doesn't have to. Like, no, no, no. Do the attempt. But then you look at it, you don't, I don't, I never really paid attention to the conditions. I never paid attention to like, you know, you get around, you know, you get around a point where like, you just know your body, you know what your body's capable of. And you know, I think at the time I was all about just 
numbers, numbers, numbers. And then when you stop being so married to numbers and start thinking about your total performance and building a legitimate total, that's when it, you know, kind of makes, so I think it kind of makes more sense. So yeah, I mean, to not take the attempt was probably the smartest thing because then obviously you have stuff left over for bench and you have stuff left right. over for deadlift, you know, and yeah. let's be honest, I mean, to take a, you know, seven, eight step, you know, walkout and even expect to have anything, you know, near what you were expecting to have, you know, left in the tank after doing a third attempt in deadlift would be, you know, it's asinine. So, I mean, I, kudos to you. Cause like I said, I, I, I wouldn't, first of all, I wouldn't have the balls to even walk out a thousand, let alone, you know, actually attempt to squat. Um, so, um, we talked about, you know, well, you mentioned before, uh, the being a softy now that you're a, you know, that you're a daddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got to talk about the kids. We got to, cause I mean, we get to see, we get to see right. the, we get to see, you know, you know kind of flashes of them on social media, man. What's the yeah. best part about being a dad, dude? <sighs> well, you know, I'm softer, but I'm also like way meaner too now because I'm protective. Right. So I'm way more protective of my friends and family now than I've ever been. And uh, it's just, it's one of those things where like the other, here's a good example of what what's awesome about being a dad. So my wife and I are sleeping in our room. She gets up at four in the morning and goes and works out at 4.30. And then she comes home at 6.15, 6.20 and we get up and get ready get the kids to school, get to work. And then I left at night um, after the kids go to bed. So that's been our schedule for the last six, seven years. And uh, my kids are three and six. And so I woke up on Tuesday morning, I think it was. And my three-year-old crawled into bed and we were cuddling and my dog crawled into bed and he was cuddling with him. And it's just to wake up and have that and have people rely on you every day and make you happy. And it's just, uh, it's unbelievable, you know, and, and to have them make books and talk about how much they love you. And my six year old, he's really emotional and he comes up to me and, uh, he puts his head on me and just says things like, I love you, daddy. And he kisses me on the belly. And, and, you know, so they, they make you want to live better and they make you also break your heart more. Um, when I was working my sales job, you know, a year ago in the early fall, I was, I would work, you know, crazy hours and not be home much, uh, during certain times of the year. And my six year old, or he was five at the time, drew a picture and he said, Hey, look, I drew a picture of you. And I said, that's awesome. Why'd you do that? And he said, well, cause I never see you. Wow. And then I had to leave and then I came back and he fell asleep looking at it under his lamp and, and, uh, I just, it fucking rocked me and I just could never do that anymore to them. So something had to change and I never, I never saw lifting as a job. I always saw it as a hobby I was good at. Right. And uh, I don't know if it's a self-confidence thing or what. Like, I'm like, well, who would want to learn from me? Who would want me to coach them? Who would want right. me to put a seminar on? Who would want me to do this or that? And it's all about experience. So I've, I've done it for 22 years. I should share that. And right. I just always saw it as a hobby, not a job. And I always kept it as more of a hobby so that people wouldn't think it interfered with my job. Right. And now that it is my job and I get to do that every day, it's amazing. You know, I got a message from a guy that I started training this year and I do their programming and him and his girlfriend just bought a house up by the gym so they could be closer to the gym and to me. That's and, awesome, dude. Dang. And that kind of stuff is, man, it's so I get to live a mile from the gym, a mile from my kid's school and build a community around the gym of people to get the experience there that I got growing up uh, that gave me confidence and goals and, and things to live for. 
And uh, I don't know, ha having kids makes it all worth trying, you know? Oh, man, that's awesome, dude. I free. I, you know, the, the more... I, I don't have kids. I guess not yet. And, you know... You also have to do stuff for yourself, too, because then your kids got to grow up and learn to do that. Yeah, like I... So that's where you and I aren't different. You know, you have to do stuff for yourself, too, because if you don't, then you're not magnanimous. You're not trying. Yeah. You're not trying to get the best version of yourself. So if you did ever have kids, what would they ever have to look up to? Exactly. Like, I, you know, I was, you know, my dad and I, we talk about it quite often, man. And, you know, it's it's always one of those things that, you know, that, you know, he's always like, you know, you... You want your kids to, to live a better life than you did, you know, but you want to set the bar high so, you know, so that when they are, when they do live a better life, that it's, you know, it's out of this world. And, you know, more so now than, than I ever had been, because, you know, I, I'd always want to been one of those types of, you know, I'm either going to do, I live my life literally like, you know, it's either I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And I never have it in between. And I was either going to have kids early, get married and do all of that earlier. And then hopefully... If I had enough disposable income and all that good stuff, then I'll go out, travel, and see the world. That, or I was going to go, try to see the world, do as much as I can, you know, early. And rather than just go see the world, get to a point where I want to share my world. And I finally hit that point, JP, after all of these years of just pressing the Heisman to, to, to women that wanted to get married and, and want to have kids. I finally got to that point where I'm like, I'm ready to share my world. I'm ready to share this world that I've seen six or seven times over. And it really, it, and I can only, I can be completely honest and say I can only attribute that to lifting and being in the lifting community, being, I can't even say fitness, just being in the lifting community and seeing families and seeing, I think the coolest thing that I've seen so far um, has been, you know, I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, uh, Nick Taluki, um, he was getting ready to, to deadlift and his coach was like, LS, we're trying to get him going. It's, you know, he's, he's, in a, he's in a different spot, space in his head. Is there anything you could say to him? And I just remember every time he, he would walk out to get ready to lift, you know, his kids would be in the front, like, let's go, Dad, let's go, Dad. You know, and he would kind of look at him and, you know, give him kind of a thumbs up. And so, you know, I was like, dude, I don't have the words. I'm not going to pretend like I know what to say to you, but I will tell you this. If nothing else, don't do it for the win. You know, because he was going to have to pull for the win. I was like, don't do it for the win. Don't do it for anything. Just do it for those three buggers in the front. That's it. The ones that are yelling, let's go, dad. And, dude, he broke down. And mind you, this is, you know, big freaking, you know, badass police officer and everything, man. And the guy just broke. And it was like, I don't know. He had the strength of Samson. I don't know what it was. But I, I've noticed more and more just being around, you know, these these lifters, these big guys, you know, these 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 tough these tough guys that turn completely soft when the kids come around. And then on top of that, you know, being around, I just call them gym kids. Kids that grow up around, you know, they grow up around the gym and you kind of watch them grow up. And you know, in, the, in the six six legitimate years that I put into training over and over and over, you know, you, you get to see, I mean, you know, you see a, a five-year-old become an 11-year-old. You see, you know, 11-year-old, you know, damn near get ready to graduate. So you kind of grow up, you kind of see these kids grow up and, I think it's made me more, want it more and more to, to, to be a part of that community. And of course, following guys like yourself and Rob and, you know, so many others out here that, you know, they, you know, they, they, you guys kind of give us an opportunity to kind of peek through the window. Like, dude, not only like, are they badasses, but they're, they're like, I always wanted to be a cool dad. I always wanted to be, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, I always felt like, again, 
to get married and have kids, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It was just like, all right, now that I'm about to put the rest of my life on pause. But more and more, the thing, like after my best friend had his daughter, he's like, you realize more than anything, you thought you were living until you had kids. And then now you realize what you're living for. And I, uh, I think that you can not have kids and leave a huge impact on people's lives. Yeah. It's not quite the same. Yeah. Um, I think that um, having my kids, I, th I think a lot of people use that as an excuse to not be good at anything anymore. Right. Ever. And I get told this all the time. I went to a high school and did a talk for the kids just about lifting weights and getting started as early as you can and not wasting your years because these are the years that are the most formative. Right. And there was a dad there with his son that was like 15 and the dad was like, you know, I used to be really into this. Then we had our kids and I stopped and you understand, right? And I go, no, I don't understand. sir." <laughs> and because I don't really have a whole lot of sympathy for people who don't take care of themselves yeah, or try to, or try to be good at something or ignore their talents just because they have situations. Right. Um, you know, I could just stop powerlifting and spend more time at home or this or that, but I've moved my life in a per place where it's a part of what we do every right. week. Um, the best story I can give for that, because how many people tell you like, oh, I wish I was good at that, but I have other priorities. Oh, that's, that's you get that almost Everybody. daily. Uh, oh, every single day if you're yeah. in the gym, you hear that. Like, I used to be big and strong like you, but, and but I'm like, oh, yeah. well, but you're a quitter. Um, the, uh, so it makes me kind of harder because I expect more because right. I've had to go through more now. Oh, yeah. And so like uh, we're in the hospital having our second kid. And it was a Thursday night, and I was telling my wife, we just had the kiddo at like 7 o'clock, and at 9 o'clock, I'm like, hey, we're going to get out of the hospital on Saturday. What's the plan this weekend? Do I need to go to the store? Like, what do we have to do? And she goes, well, we'll go home. We'll probably order food in so we don't have to cook, and then on Sunday, you squat. Oh, man. How many people have- Dude, that, freak, that just gave me chills, man. My, so my wife said, and on Sunday, you squat. Because she knows I need it, and she's yeah. not going to let me go without it. Wow, that's, dude, that kind of teared me up. Dude, that's awesome. Dude, that is, that's when you're so, a unit, man. You can take two years off after you have kids, or you can just mold your life in a way where you're not selfish, but you need something, and you do it, and then it's good for your family later. Right. I mean, I'm yeah. with that. That's, dude, kudos to her. That's, dude, that's a sick story, man. You talk to people about that. You don't want to hurt their feelings. You want to help them. Right. But the ultimate thing is, is either it's not that important to you or you're soft. Yeah. It's like girls that get into powerlifting and then they start dating a guy and then disappear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it clearly wasn't in their DNA. No, not at all. I. They're not gym rats. No, you're, you know, and, it, and it's weird because, I, you know, I, I got a few clients, you know, that, you know, when you get them, you know, it takes a little, not necessarily convincing, but like they, they come in. Because, you know, they either follow somebody that they really like and they, well, I want to do what they do. And, you know, let's be real. Like, powerlifting is, you know, it's, you know, it's it's at a heightened popularity right now. I mean, everybody really digs it. And that's awesome. They'll see their favorite lifter lifting and, you know, and they want to get into it. But then when they get into it, they, like, they forget. Like, all right, you want to do it because you want to buy the cool Nikes or you want to <laughs> you want to get this belt or these these cool knee sleeves and all that stuff. That's all awesome. But at some point, you're still going to have to train. Mm -hmm. And once you get done with training, if you just plan on being, and I, I'm, I, I'm honest with them, it's even the question of do you plan on just training or do you actually plan on doing a meet? Now, if you plan on doing a meet, now we have a goal that we're training for. You know what I mean? Because let's be honest, you're going into the gym. If you don't have, you have, if you go into the gym without a goal, you're working out straight up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But then 
if you actually have a goal in mind, this, this is my opinion. If you have a goal in mind, now you're training for something. You're yeah. getting ready. You're preparing yourself for something. So are we training or are we working out? You know, and, and it's weird because back in the day, working out wasn't such a bad thing. Now it's like, oh, I'm working out. You know what I mean? And don't get me wrong. If you're here to work out, cool. Let's work you out. That's cool. Yeah. But if you're coming to me and you're paying me money and you're asking for my advice and you're asking for this programming and you're sending your check-in and I'm having to do these check-ins and I'm having to freaking get up at three or four in the morning to make sure that you get your stuff, damn it, we're training. And if right. we're training, we're getting ready for something. And when it's time to actually, you know, when the rubber meets the road and you actually have to go out there and be, you know, be in this meet now, now what are you going to do? So people love, to, they, it looks glamorous until you actually have to do the work, you know? Right. And so, you know, but then again, you know, you get some that they, like you said, like they'll, they'll be gone and, you know, they'll be gone in months, but then you'll get some that they, they, they get bit by that bug or they'll go mm -hmm. to that first meet and they might have a horrible first meet, but they they get a they get by, bit by the community. And I, and I don't think people understand. People on the outside looking in, they're like, "Dude, I would never do that to my body. I would never go to a meet. I would never do this. I would never never do that." I get young ladies like, "Well, I would, but I don't want to put on the singlet, girl." Do you, all right, if put on the singlet is the le it's the least of your worries. You know what right. I mean? Like, go out there and have a good time. And then when when they go, like I, I usually. Now, if, if I have an opportunity, I'll try to present them, like, hey, there's a meet going on here. There's a meet that's going on there. Just go and check it out. You right. know, just see, you know, I mean, a lot of times, they'll, they, you know, they'll let you go and you can just kind of watch, you know, but some of them, you know, that at least locally, I'll take them with me to a meet that like one of my lifters is lifting in and just let them just see the, how the community in the back is. I mean, right. the warm-up room does all the, it's for me, the warm-up room has always done the, the advertising for me. So... I uh, I host meets too. Right. I'm a meet director, and uh, so I had a guy who is maybe close to 40. Um, you wouldn't think he was a powerlifter looking at him, but he comes in and puts his time in, and he trains, right? Right. And uh, he's done two meets now, and I got a really cool email from him uh, after our last meet. So I had them in groups where they were in the warm-up room together. Right. And then they had to go up to the staging area together. And right. then they lifted. And then they all went and they traveled. They, they weren't allowed to really free-form and free-roam because yeah. we had it on a stage. Right. Like we have a cement stage in the gym that we had it on. And uh, so he sent me a message and he said, hey, I really like what you did with the flights and keeping us all together. Because by the time we got to deadlifts, we all knew what we were doing. We were cheering for each other, knew each other's names, and we had community. And oh, that's nice. So, so trying to build and develop that for people on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, seeing people's relationships grow, um, you know, going from being a gym lifter to a meat lifter, like those are all really satisfying for me. And uh, so now I have had to like open up a little bit and I haven't always, I'm the kind of guy that I'll coach people or I'll work with them. Right. But I've always been a little bit more, if somebody else coaches somebody, I don't help them unless they really want help. Right. Um, I leave people alone. I'm kind of guilty of not telling people they did a good job all the time. Like, if it's good, then I just don't say anything. And then sometimes I'll <laughs> tell them a good job, and then it means more. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but the people that I work with, like, I have a small group that I train right now. I have a, some clients in person. I have some clients online. Right. And uh, just with the work change and job change, I'm slowly adding clients online until I get to 20 or 25. And uh, I just slowly take them on, and I turn most of them away, but... It's got to be the ones I want to work with. It's got to yep. be the ones that want to get better and compete eventually. And because uh, I want to develop really long lasting parts of this, not just short Man, you are, 
Like you're you're speaking my like honestly, like you're like you're making my questions for me because that that was another question. So when you decide to take on people, because that's that's one of the things that I've been I I struggled with for the longest time, JP. My, the hardest thing for me was one. I would you know you get people that inquire about it a lot, like hey, you know, do you take clients? Do you train? Blah blah blah. And I kept saying no, 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 no. I don't know that I know enough about it. I don't have right. enough experience. And you know I. I'm from the old school in terms of I'm never going to jump in an arena that I know nothing about. And at the same time, out of respect for the people, my predecessors, out of respect for those that this is what they do. This is their bread and butter. Right. I'm not going to come and, you know, throw my hat in and, you know, and not bring some quality to the table. And at the time, all my friends, they all do it. They're all really good at it. And, you know, I mean, they have 60 plus clients. I mean, super efficient, you know. Absolutely amazing with it, but me personally, I just like, dude, I don't know that I could do it. I was so afraid. I'm not gonna lie, I was absolutely terrified right. of putting someone's strength in my hands or allowing them to put their strength in my hands, you know, right. so I would turn them down. And so, you know, I finally, you know, started taking on people. And, you know, and I'm like, you, I was like, I don't, you know, I was talking to my lady about it. I was like, I don't know that I, I want to do more than, I don't think I could do more than 20, 25 and be able to do everything else that I'm doing. And right. be able to give them, because obviously I'm a talker, right? And same. you know, obviously I, I love people a lot, and but I try to provide them. Actually, Andy and I we talked about this before too. I I I, I want to provide them with a service that's above and beyond what, not necessarily what they would normally get, but you know, we spend most of the time. I and if we do a Skype check in, of that hour that we were supposed to talk we're probably going to end up talking an hour and a half and maybe 15 minutes of that is going to be of the actual programming about what's going on. Everything else is going to be about, tell me about your life. How's work going? Oh, you got laid off. All right, cool. Well, listen, let's, let's, let's do something with it. Don't worry about the payment right now, but let's make sure that we keep going because it's, I mean, at the end of the day, don't get me wrong. It's our bread and butter, but you know, but at, at some point as a coach, it's not always about the money. It's about the development of that athlete. You know what I mean? And, Money can always be made and, and lost and, and re, you know, and recovered and all that stuff. But, you know, when they're in a good space, in a good place mentally and physically, and it's in terms of their, their programming or wherever they are in that training block, you don't want right. to break that up, you know? And I feel like a lot of times you're not just a coach, you're not just a programmer, but sometimes you're a counselor. Um, yeah. I, I always thought that kind of like you in that way. I never thought I knew that much about programming. I have no college degrees or certificates in weightlifting. Same. Uh, I will. I think I want to. Like, yeah. I want to be better and I, I want to seek that out. I just never have had the time. Right. And, uh, and I've also never put it as a priority that that was what I was going to be a professional at. So whenever I say that people are really kind and they're like, well, yeah, you've done this for 22 years. <laughs> and yeah. so I do come from a common sense background, but I have always known because I've coached college football, I've coached high school wrestling, I've coached all kinds of sports, right. and uh, I know that I'm a good coach. I know that I'm a good, good, uh, good uh, psychological coach. Right. And I think the number one thing that you can have, and it is the number one thing I feel like I have, is that uh, I'm really, really good with emotional maturity. Yes, and being able to find my athletes where they're at, and uh, being able to connect with them. And uh, the people I coach in person, it's really the best because I can really meet them on their level. And then when they leave, they feel like they wanted to feel when they walked in the door. Right. Now, I want to try to get to that place with my online clients, but I think that's a little more challenging. Yeah. Uh, 
but uh, you know, because you're limited and bound by time and uh, distance. But I think that that's something I really, really desire to be able to do. Um, and I've started to get into that with my online clients, where it's like, you know, hey, how many days? I don't, I don't ever make anybody do just what I like. I have right. to find where they're at and then nourish them from there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Somebody wants to do conjugate. I'm like, well, I've done that and it can be successful. So here's how I would run it with you. If somebody wants to do standard periodization, hey, I understand that, and here's how I would run it with you. Right. If somebody wants to do four days a week, but they should be doing five, then, well, i got to figure out exactly what they want. If they need <laughs> to do three weeks, three days a week because they have their daughter four days a week, I'm going to make sure they do three yeah, days Yeah, man. Yeah, like it's being able to, to adapt and roll with it. Ever, you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I think that's, you know, that's something that a lot of, a lot of coaches – it's not that they 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 don't do it. It's a lot. some of them can't. Some of them can't really adapt to it. And it's been it's been kind of crazy, you know. Just kind of because you, I think you get people, you know. And and I never want to know. I and I never. I to be honest with you, like I sometimes I don't even want to know who previously coached them. You know, I just want to know have have you had a coach before? And like, yeah, I have. All right, that's that's all I need to know. Just give me an idea of what you did. All right, cool. Just give me a general idea. That's all I need to know. I don't want to know the name. I don't want to. I don't care. You know, because, you know, because then eventually they end up telling you anyway, which is weird. But, but like, I just want to know what you're capable of. And at the same time, but then you start realizing with this, again, pattern, a lot of the coaches that they have previously, it's not that, it's not that, you know, that they're bad coaches. It's they're, some of them can't do that. Some of them can't take a five, a four or five, you know, uh, uh, a training session that's supposed to, you know, run the course of four or five days within a week and condense it to three days. Some of them just don't know how to do it, you know. Um, and, and these are guys, guys and girls with degrees in every, they have every damn freaking letter behind their name. You know what I mean? I'm like, dude, I, I have a, I have an MBA <laughs> and, you know, uh, a, a few degrees, but none of them speak to like me being able to, I can tell you the force. I can tell you the force of like what the weight's gonna be like on your shoulders. I have a degree in engineering physics. I can tell you that all day, every day. But if you ask me, you know, I I, I joke a lot with Mike to share. I'm like, dude, I don't know what you guys are. Talking. He'll 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 be in this conversation and talking, and he's like, so Ellis, what do you think about Mike? Mike, before you even start this sentence, if you don't make this as dumb as humanly possible, you're gonna get a blank stare from me, you know, yeah. or I. God bless Bryce. I'll, I'll, I'll say this because I know he listens to these things. God bless Bryce Lewis. Because Bryce, <laughs> Bryce Lewis will, he will talk this, I don't know what it, the talk is, the scientific talk. Like, right. I like, he'll talk this scientific talk with the boys and he'll know that I don't know what they're talking. I'll, I'll get a few words here and there. I'm, I, I'll, you know, I, it's got, it's like Spanish. You know what I mean? Like, you <laughs> plug a few words here and there. And he'll literally wait till everybody kind of, you know, ventures off. And then he'll kind of explain to him, like, All right, this is what this means. This is what this means. This is what this means. I'm like, dude, thank you. You know what I mean? Like, he, he, he'll, he'll never let, you know, he'll never let me, like, you know, he'll never embarrass me. But, he'll, right. you know, he'll put it in, in means that I, I can understand it, you know. And, you know, Mike, Mike's starting to do that a little bit more in terms of, like, he'll talk to me. And I know that he's dumbing it down. But it helps. It helps so much. Um but I think that's you know. But I feel like there's there's a need for that. There's need there's a need for for people like me that I don't know the scientific term. I just know that you know I don't I can't tell you what this specific muscle is, but I know it's part of your shoulder. 
you give me yeah. a little time, I'm going to look it up. And if I don't know the answer, I think the good thing, you know, um, I'm a lot like you in that, you know, I, I do have a couple of really good friends I grew up with since elementary. But for the most part, I'm just close with, you know, who, ever, whoever's in my circle. Um, right. And those people in my circle are very well versed. They're of every degree under the sun, you know, they're, they're scientifically versed and all that good stuff. So if I don't know the answer, I can easily reach out. And I think that's a cool thing about, you know, the position that we're in. If we don't know the answer, if we don't know the term, you can easily reach out to anybody and, and, you know, get that, you know, the people that we're working with can't. Yeah, they can't. And so if, I feel like, but I feel like, you know, usually the people that are real well versed aren't emotionally as mature, maybe. <laughs> And it's harder to, and I'm not saying there's not, there's, there are those people that can do both, but it's kind of rare. Um, you would laugh at this. So when I went to school, I was uh, going for business and I just wasn't Same. very satisfied with it. It was boring. And uh, I took a philosophy class I really liked and I ended up majoring in philosophy and theology. <laughs> wow. Small college. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, dude. I, <laughs> I went, I transferred from a big public school to to uh, Christian school because I thought I wanted to be a preacher. That was that was my that's my initial goal. I, when I was eighteen, too, I was baptized when I was eighteen. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to be a preacher, so we went to Abilene. I went to Abilene Christian, and uh, man, and I, you know what? I think the cool thing with college, and you know, shout out to everybody that that that's going to college, and, and those that even don't, um, is that you know when, when you're you're in school, you know, and you're in college. You know, you learn, you start learning your, your, your limitations and your, your, your cans and your cans. And I had always wanted to be in the ministry in some form or fashion, but I was like, I can't never do like my dad and get behind the pulpit. I just, you know, I like chicks too much. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I like running around and cursing too much. And I, you know, I like doing this. I, I was, I was so worldly, you know what I mean? And that was right. like, I was, I was as a hard, I was as hardcore kid as you could be at that point in time. I knew what I wanted to do, but I just knew that. You know, I didn't know if that was how I was going to do it. I was like, I just can't see myself in a pulpit. What's uh, okay? So we were talking the other night. I'm sorry to turn the conversation. No, no, you're good. But the other night we were talking about music, and I've been getting more into music because I've been in the gym more. I used to be in the car all the time, and when you're in the car three hours a day, you can't listen to music all oh, the no. time. The podcast. Oh yeah. And so now I don't listen to as many podcasts, which I which sucks. But I'm back into music, which is good. As a hardcore kid, what's your best show? Ooh, man! You know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. I've been just, like three that feel good. The best show that I have been to. This, honestly, this is gonna sound bad because I've been to some sick ones. Um, yeah. I'll say my the first one. The first one I ever went to, man. I was God. I was a youngster, and I snuck in. Um, used a fake to get in, but I I got to. I got to see Pantera. Mm-hmm. And I uh, do. I snuck out of the house. I drove three, three and a half, four hours. I drove, yeah, like a little, little over four hours to Dallas to sneak into this show to see Pantera. And I <laughs> never get it because I walked to the door and I gave the guy my fake, which is it was horrible. He said the guy was like six two, six three. Like clearly I wasn't. Right. Um, he just looked, looked at me and kind of shook his head. And it's a big old black dude, and he's like, you know, you know this this is a rock show, right? I'm like, yes, I know, I know, yes, I know. He's like, all right. Black security guards at hardcore shows that are just like, 
weird ass white kids. Yeah, dude. They just he just got a chicken head. He's like, well, you know. I was like, I know, I know, I know. It's supposedly they're white supremacists. I don't care. The music's the shit. Let me in here. He let me in, and it was the craziest thing because, like, I got maybe three or four stairs. Like, is this kid serious? Yeah. But as soon as that pit opened up, I don't even. I blacked out, and next thing I know, I went from being at the very back to the middle of the pit. From the pit, I, you know, like you make like pit friends. You know what I'm saying? And the next thing I know, I, I'm front row, like right at the, you know, right at the rail, and I'm like, dude, this is. I don't know that I could ever go back. That was. Yeah. Your first show's I feel like your first show's always your best show. Um aside from that, I my two favorite shows that I've gone to have literally come in consecutive weekends um or it's just consecutive weeks um this year. Yeah. When I yeah, in San Antonio, Knocked Loose I'm telling you right, Knocked Loose is they put on the best show. I mean and the thing is it was Knocked Loose Knock Loose was the headliner, but it was uh, counter. No, no, that one counter. It was Jesus Peace was uh, the first opening act, and they're pretty freaking good. I, I wouldn't expect them to be that good. They're um, up. Yeah, man. Like, and I, saw, I was like, "Who's this little like?" It literally. I, I look. I was like, "Is that a black dude?" I can't even tell. Like, it was so. It was so far away when I walked. In, I was like, "That's a black dude. That's do your thing." And by the time they got to the third song, I was like, "Cause like they only have like." They don't like have EP like they only have EP length like albums. So I was like, you don't really have a huge body of work. Just play everything that you have. Yeah. So they they were the first opener, and then after them, it was freaking uh, Terror. I've seen Terror three times. So every time it's great. Man, listen, I it, <laughs> San Antonio is set. The first of all, like people that don't understand. I mean, people out there that don't necessarily listen to hardcore. Hardcore is. I mean, it's not just like the, the the screaming and everything. It's not just like the you know the 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 gutter beats or whatever. But hardcore is you know it it's it's just like it's like any it's just like rap. You have your West Coast rap, East Coast rap. You know what I mean? Your your Texas, your Third Coast. You like you have like your Midwest rap, all of that. So like with with hardcore, you know, Texans are really weird about their hardcore because there's so many there are so many hardcore bands in Texas, but Texas hardcore. It's a different type of hardcore. You know, it's well, like Kansas City scene was really good when I first started listening. And then it's really died since. Yeah. Because bands have to drive so far to get here. Yeah. They have to come from Texas or Denver. And yep. uh, they just would rather sometimes bypass it and go to another area with three stops. Yeah. So we don't get very many shows anymore. And I don't go to as many, but I, I, I'm probably out of touch. But oh, I'd say man. some of the best shows I've been to, like... I really, really liked uh, seeing Walls of Jericho with uh, Bury Your Dead. Oh, they were, I think they're either, they're either about to be here or they were just here. Yeah. Oh, man. I really liked, I saw at one tour, Guar was like one of the headliners and then Lamb of God at a thing. And uh, <laughs> Guar. the best thing ever is going to see Guar with people who don't know what it is. Show <laughs> 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 that day was Norma Jean. Oh dang! So and you... the best breakdown was Memphis will be laid to waste. Um, that was pretty amazing. But when I was growing up in college, we would go to the shows in Lawrence, Kansas, and the promoters didn't have any money for security, so they just let us in, and we kind of policed the shit, you know. Oh, that's pretty sick. That's smart, man. I um, I don't know if you have have gotten a chance. And and, and it's it's kind of 
it's 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 definitely a a a Brit hardcore. Um, but if you ever get a chance uh to see, oh god, what is their name? Because like I'm I was so excited to talk about them and then I messed messed it up. Oh gosh, what is the name? It's um Architects. Yeah, man. You know who told me about Architects? I think it was uh um Calgary Barbell guy Bryce. Oh yeah, Bryce. He's a big uh, he's a big Architects fan and counterparts. Both of those, yeah. man, I'm telling you, I <sighs> screw the best hardcore show. Counterpart like um, Architects was one of the best shows I've ever seen, right. ever seen in my life. The guy sounded better, and this is there's only a couple of of bands. I, I'll say, um, Knock Loose was like that. Um, they sound better live than they do studio. Um, yeah. I man, and then of course when you you know when you realize as far as like the the album that uh, uh, the the album that that uh, the architects the architects made it was uh, the lead singer it was his brother his brother wrote the album, and mm-hmm. you know he he died or whatever um, I think he died of cancer. Well, when you you find out the story, mm-hmm. so this guy was literally dying while he's writing the album. And there's a there's there's a couple songs on it where it just it hits you. So I'm in the middle of the show, and it was crazy because I thought I was gonna be the only one. Um, there's there's a song that they have. I'm pretty sure uh, it's called uh, "Gone with the Wind," and like there's a part there's like uh, the part in the, in the chorus is like a sickness with no remedy, uh, like found deep inside of me. Uh, you ever wondered what it feels like? Uh, to disappear into nothing at all, dude. When I I heard it, but I didn't really like. I was it didn't really register with me. And by the time they got to that, I think it was like the third time that he sang the chorus. I was like, oh, I forgot his brother wrote it. His brother's writing about himself, and I just I'm dead. And I look over, and there is not a dry. I in the whole freak, and it, mind you, we were trying to murder each other, right? Three three minutes ago, and I mean, there's not a dry eye. I mean, that was to be, I mean, man to man, that was one of the greatest shows, if not the greatest musical just display that I've ever seen. And I've I've been to hundreds of concerts. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and again, I'm a big time. I'm a big. Big Pearl Jam fan, I've I've yet to see them. I've had tickets to see them twice, and I've always had something that's bad happen. Show that you never got to see it's Pearl Jam, right? Oh yeah, that's that's the the best show. I, the the best I've been I've been able to see the Rolling Stones. I've seen Metallica twice. Um, you know, I, I've seen Paul McCartney. You know, <laughs> freaking the one that I never got to see is Rage Against the Machine. Oh man! So my PR song is Rage Against the Machine live at the Olympic in California. Nice. Yeah. Bulls on Parade. Bulls on Parade is it's 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 a that's one of those that'll never get old. I don't care who you are. You know, I don't. It doesn't that there's me and my buddy. We were arguing about like you know some the uh, you know some of the best songs, uh, just some of the best rock, rock songs of all time. No matter what era, uh, Bulls on Parade was definitely one of them. Um, Toxicity was definitely one of them. Yeah. I I I and I to this day I I'll argue this until my dying day. Yeah. Since nineteen, I won't say. I think it was like nineteen ninety. It had to be like nineteen ninety five, ninety six. Since ninety five, ninety six, the greatest rock song ever made to me 
has to be Everlong by Foo Fighters. It's a good one. That is the greatest. I honestly, and I always look at it like this. If they can play this. While everybody else is playing checkers in the music world. I honestly, man, I, and and this is, you know, you can, I mean, I I wish there was a way to, to quantify it, but there's never been a time since the first time I heard, and maybe part of it's nostalgia, but there's never been a time that that song's come on that I don't get chills. Yeah, there's never been a time, and that's one that's one group that I've never seen live. That I mean, they're you know I don't love them as much as I love Pearl Jam, but I, I I absolutely love the Foo Fighters. But I think if I were ever to hear that, there's a few songs I know if I ever heard live, I would probably just I wouldn't hear it because I'd cry the whole time. Um, but Pearl Jam uh, Black, I would cry the whole time. Oh yeah, anything off the Ten album, I'd yeah. probably cry like that. That was the <laughs> that was the album that I. Man, I memorized that thing front front to back. I um, and, and, but I'm like, I'll be honest with you, I'm that way. I I was, I should say, that way about Thursday and about Silverstein, and then one day I just, Thursday I saw them at the Warp Tour in 2002. Dude, I saw. Well, I got to see them last year when they did when they started their reunion tour. It was a part of my uh, uh, my uh, my birthday present. Um, I got. I mean, I'm a huge Florida State fan, and somehow the the fan was able to get me tickets to Florida. Like, this is how weird this is. The, the the Florida State game was on the thirtieth, and the the uh, the Thursday concert was on the twenty eighth. So yeah. we drove up to Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania, we rested. Then we drove from we drove from Pennsylvania up to New Jersey because they they did it in New Brunswick of all places. You know their their comeback. They did it in New Brunswick, so we went and uh, watched them. It sold out the first. I was I was in the gym and I forgot to get the tickets. It sold out for that Wednesday, and but they had such an overwhelming response. They put out another one, and my girl bought bought me tickets. I didn't even know she bought them for that Thursday. She's like, I think it would have been better for to, for you to watch Thursday on Thursday, which right. was awesome. So yeah. third, we went and watched Thursday, and then drove uh, drove down to D.C. and from D.C. we flew. To Miami, watched Florida State play, and then flew back, then drove to Pennsylvania, and then we ended up driving back home. Um, dude, that was to this day that's the greatest birthday I've ever had. But seeing them on their reunion tour, because again, I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't really seen them. I hadn't seen them in like seven years. So yeah. to have a chance to see those guys, and of course, anytime I see Silverstein, it's crazy. But I got the, I got a chance to meet their lead singer Jeff. He's just walking through the audience, and no one even knew who he was. Got to take a picture with him and everything. It was that was one of those men that I mean, I, it was I cried. I think I cried more of the concert than I I sang, but I sang tears the whole time. Like seeing Thursday was one of those like because I never thought that I would ever get to see them again, you know. Right. So I mean, so I can't even say that. Like I said, I've I've been to so many shows, but in terms of the greatest hardcore show so far that I've ever been to, hands down, I, I'd have to say it was probably that Knock Loose. Uh, yeah, it had it would have to be because I mean. It was Knock Loose, and it was freaking uh, Terror, and of course uh, Jesus Peace. That one alone just did it for me. So I don't know. I I hadn't had a chance to go to any, you know, to any 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 newer ones just because. I mean, I want to go to Warp Tour, but I don't know that I can because I have cheer practice all day. So and it's the last one. So I'm going on Thursday. Yeah, I know, and it. I'm pissed. I'm happy that you're going. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just kind of like. Drive up. 
It's not that far. Well, I mean, it's I mean, it's just right in San, I mean, we have one right in San Antonio, but I want to see who um I don't even know who the who's who who's y'all's lineup though. Yeah, it it changes and usually Kansas City gets screwed a little on that, but it'll be all right. Yeah, man. I that's the only thing like I I was going to just go lineup chasing, but I mean, there's all the all the ones that, you know, all the the better bands they they're either doing it like over the next, you know, I want to say the next few days or they're taking a break over that 4th of July time and then hitting the last ones. So, I mean, I wanted to go the one in, I think the one in San Diego is the one that's like loaded, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, at this point it's, I mean, I'm probably going to go just because, you know, I, there was a time for about like a four or five year period where I went to all of them, you know? Yeah, and I've only been to one. It was in 2002 mm-hmm. and Thursday was there. Yep. And so that's what the first time I saw Thursday. And then you know who was great? Trust Company. Wow, I haven't heard that in forever. I'm writing that down, dude. I'm right. I have not heard. Wow. <laughs> Their CD was so good. Wow. <laughs> Trust Company was so good. Yo, you just took me. Wow, you took me back. I'm Trust- a big, big, big something corporate fan. Something, man, I, you'll take, I'm telling you, my buddy, uh, my buddy, he uh, he is, he's the one that actually got me back uh, back into the hardcore scene. Cause I, you know, I those, you know, those are my skateboarding days, and you know, just my crazy days. I used to have, I had to sign contracts and not, you know, skateboard and ride my bike all the time. So, God, man, like I, I tell you, they they start laughing at me because I I brought, I brought, <laughs> I brought in a CD, a cartel CD, and. They looked at me like, what is this? I was like, oh, dude, Cartel used to be it. I don't care who you were. Cartel, and I played at the gym. I mean, it's like whoever has the ox is like your king. So yeah. it's no complaints. No matter what it is, you just have to roll with it. So I'll, uh, you know, so it, it's so funny because, you know, once you, you know, I mean, it, it, I'm, you're in the process of doing it. Once you kind of build that gym community, it's it's like a family. So I'll get these texts before I even come to the gym. Like, hey, if you get there before I do, can I just request these songs? You know what I mean? And <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny because like now I got, you know, I got these these older guys like, you know, listen to, you know, like, dude, what is he saying? What is he saying? So like sometimes I'll print out the sheets and, and pass it out, like, hey, this is what the what, what the guy's saying. But man, I had him listening to Yellow Card and oh, man, yeah, I saw Yellow Card. Like, <laughs> man, like Yellow Card, like what's more I I honestly one of the best shows that I saw um in they're actually going to be at Warped Tour this year again. Uh, it was like I think it was like 2002, 2003. Um, I was I had I drove all the way to Las Cruces, New Mexico, to watch them. It was um, the Used. I've I, seen this three times. Oh my god, I love the Used. Um, hey, you'll never believe this. So the Used was playing here in Kansas City, and they were not the last band. Really. Because on the radio it was a little more popular. It was the used and then the All American Rejects. Oh my! I forgot. You know, I never liked the All American Rejects, but, but all the used fans just like kicked the shit out of all the other people. That is so funny. That and you know, I I think I. Well, I mean, they 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 actually didn't do too bad for themselves. But like I, I always felt like you know, some forty one. Even though people liked them a, a lot, I felt like some. Some forty one, they were they were kind of underrated because they were actually really good musicians, man. I, They're the kind of guys that like when I get my kids into music, like I don't. My wife lets them listen to all the Disney crap, yeah. but I listen, let them listen to Mighty Boston, Some Forty One, Nice, 
all this, you know, Ben Folds, like they need to know good bands. Oh yeah, you gotta know Ben Folds, man. Like I uh that's just man, that's just crazy because I I you know, that's my girl says all the time because we are getting married and you know have kids. She goes because I just feel like <laughs> Because I don't know me, she's like I, she'll be honest. Because I don't know music, you know. She listens yeah. to her Carrie Underwood, and that's it. And yeah. my wife likes decent stuff, but she's more into just like modern alternative. Yeah, um, I, I. Hey, since you're writing down notes, write down. You know, Bitter End. No, I do not. But I'm writing them down. Yeah, write bitter End, and then the song is Conversations with Death. I just put it. I have a playlist that's on uh, Spotify. And I, sh- I started sharing it. Just I've shared it twice on my story, and it's got uh, you know like a hundred followers on it already. But Man, uh, it's to... the gym playlist. It's got like three hundred songs on it, and uh, it's always changing. Like three of us update it and change it. And one of them's kind of a metalhead. One of them's into rap, and then I'm more into hardcore. So it's kind of got mixed up stuff. So it goes from like the '90s to now. See, I have a. I need to pull up my play. You know, I'm. You know, I think I'm. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put my playlist on my story for the next like couple of weeks. Cause I. I mean, once I got Apple Music, I stopped even using my 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 Spotify. I need to. It's cool because on my story, I get the most response from like singing in the car and like, which I've done my whole freaking life. Oh yeah. I started sending it to people, and they're like, "Put that on your story. It's funny." And so I did, and people get a kick out of it, and then. Um, I started sharing songs and then if you have enough followers, right, you can give them a link. So I started sharing links and I was like, Oh, people really love that. So I'll either do like a screen deal where they can hear the song or I'll share a link so they can just go walk, listen to that band. Oh, that's dope. Do you, um, do you listen to have uh, code orange? Have you ever heard of them? So I was uh one time my, my, I have one buddy that I really rely on for music knowledge yeah. And somebody was like, I want the metal of metal. And I was like, here, my buddy said to listen to Code Orange. Dude, Code Orange. And, and they were actually here last night, and I didn't go see them. What? Are you serious? I'm going to a show tomorrow, and I'm going to Warp Tour on Thursday. I'm 34 as heck, and I can't do three shows in one week very well oh, like I used to. Oh, man. <laughs> so Code Orange was here yesterday. Um, they're not my favorite. They're just really good. But they're really good. I just I'm just now getting into Code Orange. So and I, I think that Har- I saw Harm's Way like the week that their album dropped. Oh dang, man! You're the thing Dude, is like you you I have access. Him, I reached out to him. Was like, do you want to come work out at the gym? Really? Yeah. Uh, he was like, I'd love to, but we're literally just driving in from Denver. There's no way we can make that happen. You know? Dang, dude, that would have been. That would have been sick. That would have been one of those like, hey, this is the life I'm living right now. I that, think uh, I, like Whitechapel wants to come lift. Dude, I mean, I honestly say you have like, like you're like you, you have like the, like the purpose like, hey, by the way, you guys want to come get a lift in? Let me know. Um, yeah. But I used to, you know, I, 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 I honestly, I, I forgot about AFI. I used to be like really big into those guys, and I don't know why I, I didn't. I think that was like I was really when I was big time into my skating because it was kind of like uh, like AFI was just like I, I feel like every skater every skater listened to those guys and then like then I, there was a point where I just stopped listening to hardcore altogether and all just just anything with a with a guitar riff I just stopped listening to because I was like dude every time I never hurt myself but every time I was getting in, like necessarily in trouble but I would like you know break a finger or 
you know, fall off my board. Like every time it was because I was, I would listen to like the music, honestly, music will make me do anything. It seems like, you know, and so, I mean, and I, I, I will be honest with you, man, there was a point, especially high school through sophomore year in college, I would fight with anybody that wanted it, that wanted it. And I was like, Hey, let's go. It, you know, I mean, it wasn't that I looked for it. It was just like, Hey man, I mean, I won't start it, but I'll definitely finish it. You know, and I, you know, I was, I was, a, I was enough of a knucklehead that I would keep score. Like, oh, I, you know, I, this is my tenth fight, having lost. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm gonna try to make fifty without fifty. You know, like it's, it was, I was dumb. So I've never been in a fist fight. You know, keep it that way. Keep it that I way. I just don't have that. I, don't, I never had that energy. I was never hot. You know. I mean, you know, I just. I think growing up, well, one, growing up in West Texas where I grew up at, and, and I mean, at the time, you know, it was kind of like, you know, I was one of the only black kids in a pretty much all white town with a few Hispanics, you know what I mean? I was a rodeo kid at some point, you know what I mean? And you can't necessarily, you know, be one of the only black guys and, and like white girls and not catch a, you know, a few, you know, a few awkward stares and, and a few people want to go fisticuffs. So I was like, well, either I'm going to fight. I'm gonna get my ass with one of the two, and again, I think that's maybe part of the reason I didn't really knew if I, know if I was, I was stronger or not because I knew I could fight. Yeah, I knew I, could, I knew I could fight, you know, and and I knew like that. I mean, I knew I could push a dude down. Like it didn't matter how big you were, like I could push you down, right. you know. And I don't think it really translated to to strength. I don't think until like I guess later on in life. I mean, my dad, you know, I because I you know I was a, the shorter kid. I was you know I was always fast, but. You know, <laughs> he would always make me do the Herschel Walker workout. So I would, and I did so yeah. many push-ups and sit-ups and everything. He goes, "Well, you're short enough already. We don't need to stunt your growth." <laughs> so yeah, Dad, you saying that you're the only black kid in town this morning? While I was at the hardware store and you were waiting in line for Jays, I thought we were doing the blackest and whitest things you could do on a Saturday. I, you know what? I'll tell you what was what's the funniest thing. I this is this is no lie. I, I was showing my girlfriend. I was like. You'll never get, since she's so weird. She's such a weirdo. So I'm talking to her, like, we're FaceTiming, and, and I'm showing her, I was like, baby, you'll never guess what's going on. She's not, she's not tell me. I was like, no, I'm just going to show you. And so, <laughs> so I put up my phone, and I'm like, panning it around. She's like, that is the whitest line I have ever seen in my life. It was all white kids. And oh, she's sure. like, that, she goes, those are not for Jordans. She goes, those kids are there. And I didn't know because I was just in line. She's like, those are not for Jordans. I was like, what? I was like, yeah, these kids are here for Jays. She's like, I'm telling you right now, as a white person, they're not there for Jordans. They're here, they're, they got to be there for another shoe. And that's when I found out it was for the Yeezy. I was like, oh, it's for the Kanye shoe. I, didn't, I wasn't really thinking. Like a year ago, Brandon Lilly put on a status that he saw two black kids wearing Jordans beat up a white kid and take his uh, Toms. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like it's, it is so, it, I think the funniest thing I'm starting to see is, um, I, I, I either, I saw a tweet or I heard somebody talk about, it's like, oh, it was family guy. Um, family guy was like, why, you know, I think he said something like, uh, all the cool kids now are, uh, are, goes, why are the cool white kids dressing like nineties black kids? And I was like, that is spot on and it's weird because i'm like dude i would never wear that but i'm like but you see like i i mean because i mean I, I live where we live at right now it's 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 uh it's a big time tourist town but 
it's right next to a college town. We used to actually live in the college town. And, you know, where Texas State is, I mean, you obviously you see just all the fashionistas of, 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 of the generation walking around. But you will see these pockets of the cool white boys, the cool Asian boys, and the cool black boys. And they're all dressed the same. Like these like 90s black kids. I'm like, wait, I don't even understand. Like, we made fun of those clothes in the 90s. Like, but you they're rocking them like, you know, or or my kids were like, Coach, you know, we know you you have probably how clothes from the 90s. You have any like old, you know, old t-shirts or I'm like, actually, yes, I do, because my mom doesn't throw away anything, you know. And my thing, I'm pretty sure my mom at some point is like, you know, gone to like thrift stores and like and sold them. And I mean, cause like, you know. My parents, they never threw a, a thing away, but it's weird how, like, everything's kind of, like, circling back. Um, they got rid of all my Jenkos. Oh, man. I Between those, there was a guy in line today. This is no joke. He had a very fresh pair of Jabot jeans. I'm like, damn, I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't seen Jabot jeans in forever, forever. Actually, I had two pair of them. I had a green pair and uh, a green pair and a blue pair, and I remember I... My dad's like, you got to make a decision because I'm not spending more than 50 bucks on jeans. I was like, well, well, clearly you don't plan on buying any one of these jeans because I had the Jinkos, I had the uh, the Z Cavaricis, yep, um, freaking uh, cross colors, and uh, Pepe, the Pepe jeans, and some tearaway Adidas pants. Oh man, see, I couldn't, I couldn't get, I couldn't get to Adidas, man, because I was such a Jordan head, so I couldn't I wear. The, I was in the corn. Ah, yes. I mean, of course. That's a... Why did I not... It's so weird because, you know, corn got so big that I don't even know if I even considered them hardcore, but corn, they always put on an amazing show. Or whatever back then. I'll tell you what was funny. We were talking about this yesterday. We were um, I was at the uh, the movie theater. My buddy, the, uh, the one I was talking about that's a huge hardcore fan. We're at the we're at the theater and uh, you know they have a they have a bar over there and I always go like he's the head bartender so I always go and say what's up to him after the movies and he was he went to uh, it was Slayer oh, I think it may have been Slayer Lamb of God and somebody else it was just a few days ago and he's and one of the guys like Slayer what are you going doing what are you doing watching Slayer like that was back when I was in high school and he was an older gent and and it's weird because. People say that about, and this, this is my theory, but people say that about Slayer. They'll say that about, I mean, not necessarily White Snake. Who, no one listens to White Snake that much anymore. But they'll say that about Slayer. They'll say that about, um, they've said that about uh, Megadeth, and but they never say that about Metallica. No. They'll never say it about Metallica. So I think, <laughs> I think it's it's just weird just how like. Your musical progression kind of determines, like you know, well, Metallica's—they're more of legends than anything. So, like, they—they they don't get that, they don't get that old call. You know, it's—it's it's weird. I don't, but music's music's man. Um, but what I am gonna do is this: I'm gonna ask you my two questions, man, because honestly, like I said I could talk all day, and I think you could talk all day. Um, I'm gonna—I'm gonna get to the two traditional questions. You—they're already preloaded, so you already know what they are. Uh, the first one is. If you were stuck on a deserted island, what is three things that you would take with you? Well, so I'm going to copy your answer just a little bit. All right. No, do your thing. That's a good answer. So I'm 100% sure that I know how to survive because I watch so much survival TV. (laughs) 
I wouldn't bring a purifier because I know on the beach on a deserted island, all you got to do is dig through the sand and you can make a little thing where it gets clean. And then exactly. it, some stuff over it and the condensation rolls in. Like I already know how to make water, but I know I'm too big and fat. I'm not going to live for very long. So even if I know how to survive, it doesn't matter. I'm going to die. And uh, so I'm 100% sure I just want to have a good time. Oh, yeah. So solar generator for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't need a computer. I'd rather have a phone. Um, right. Because the apps are like way more communicative to everybody that I want to see. True, true, true. And then uh, the uh, third thing that I would bring, because I'm a chubby guy, is a fan. All right. All right. I can, all right. I want to be comfortable. Hey, right, listen. I mean, you know, as long as you have water, I guess, I mean, you could be a vegan. Just eat, eat the leaves, I guess, that are there. So yeah. going with the solar <laughs> generator... A fan and a phone. Yeah, like a satellite phone. That's or not bad. Perception. I don't need a satellite, but whatever. Not bad. Not bad. Like yeah, I um. So far, like I said, people are like they always ask like, well, you know, what's a, what's a good answer? Like anything's a good answer. Like I said, uh, I was, I I was I was joking around. I was like, the, my first one I ever had was Kelly. Kelly was my first. Huh? <laughs> he's my first guest, and he's like, I would take a rack, some weights, and a bar. I was like, all right. I mean, it is. Hey, he's a lifter. It is what it is. Me personally, I will carry trees or something. Yeah, I, I figure it out. I was like, I'll just look up on the internet because I'll still have like internet. All right. Yeah. So, question two, final question. Gun to your head. You have to get all the words of a song right verbatim. If you get them right, the trigger's not pulled. But if you mess up one word. They pull the trigger and you're a dead man. So, what song would you use that would save your life? I'm a very good karaoke artist, and I'm very skilled in this field. <laughs> and I'll even start it off with a little bit of this. That sounds like... That's regulators, right? Regulators. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a missing trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a car full of girls, ain't no need to tweak. All your skirts know what's up with 213. So I hooks a left on 21 and Lewis. Some brothers shooting dice said, let's do this. I jumped out my ride and said, what's up? Some brothers pulled some gats, so I said, I'm stuck. Nice. <laughs> Nicely done. 20 seconds on the dot. Man, I honestly, JP, I appreciate it so much, man. I was... I'm not gonna lie to you. When 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 you hit me, I was like, dude, this is yes, yes, yes. I I've been waiting for this, you know. I mean, for for a minute, and to be able to have you, I mean, took us a little bit to to finally get it going. The schedule conflicts and everything, but I I, I really do appreciate it, man. I I honestly I cannot tell you how much this means to me. Um, for everybody that's listening, clearly he's the most entertaining person we <laughs> I've had on here for sure. It's funny. The bigger the guys, the more entertaining they are. Between you and Ray Williams, I honestly, I just, I've had so much fun. Like, Ray. So at the Arnold, I didn't even know the meet was going on out there. And I saw a video and I was like, oh, they're kicking us out of here. I was hanging out with Ed Cohen, who's kind of turned into a good friend. And uh, I was like, they kicked us out of the thing. So I was like, all right, let me go outside and see what's going on. And then I saw the meet was happening. And I was like, whoa. I want to meet some of those people. I want to meet LS and Ray and Kelly, all these people that I talk to here and there that I really want to see. 
And so I was like, well, I'll see if they'll let me back there in the USAPL warm-up room. <laughs> and so I'm like walking through the concourse and like Steffi Cohen stops and gives me a hug. And then I like walk a little further and I like sneak back into the thing. And uh, me and Rob Philippus went back there and met all you guys. It was okay. freaking blast. I was like, I've always wanted to meet all these guys. And the bigger they are, the happier they are. I think the funniest part, man, was when you guys got back there. I It was, I you know, and I think what people don't understand in terms of this like powerlifting, man, like, you know, because, and I can say it, because they're on the outside looking in, all you see as a fanboy or fangirl is, oh, that's a USPA guy or that's a SPF guy or that USAPO guy. All they see is this, the federations not understanding, like, man, right. as much as as they watch us, we watch each other, number one. Number two is at this point in the game, I mean, I don't think I'm a, you know, I don't think I'm a rookie. I don't think I'm one of the greats, but I don't think I suck. And I right. think, you know, I, I feel like I'm at least in the upper echelon of, of lifters right now. And I think at this level, there's no ill will. Like, you want everybody to do well. You know what I mean? And it, so it's – go ahead. The guys that talk like that all suck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the guys that are at the very, very top all respect each other. You have to. And, and, uh, and if everybody just knew that and then acted accordingly and didn't have posture – then that would be fantastic. Oh. So I'm just glad that we got to hook up and do this. I wanted to get to know you better. And now I'll probably that. talk to you all the time. Oh, so. yeah, this is for sure. I'm definitely going to have you back, man. And we might talk a little bit. Oh, you know what? We'll, 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 what, what we'll do is this. We're going to do something just, just, we're just going to talk hardcore. We'll talk music. We're, you know what we can do? We can do a, uh, we can, we'll need to, I'm going to go to the to Warp Tour. You go to Warp Tour. We can do a post-Warp Tour podcast. I think that would be pretty sick. Try well, to get some footage. One that's like all music and one that's all lifting. Yeah, that'll be cool. I mean, the cool thing about it is I can do whatever I want. So that's that's perfect. Your show. This is awesome, man. But JP, I honestly, man, I cannot tell you how elated I am to have had you on here. Um, where can people find you? So I work in Kansas City at Strong Barbell Club. Olympic Gym Kansas City is our gym name. We just are inside that space. I don't own the gym. I just run it. And I do all my coaching out of there. You can get me on Instagram, jplifts underscore SBC. Um, you know, I've got my email addresses on there and everything. I'm with Slingshot. I'm with 8Man. All great people at those places. Um, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Instagram. Um, I respond to literally every inbox message I've ever got. That's so awesome. if you want to hit me up, hit me up. If you want to talk music, if you want to talk relationships, whatever you, whatever you got, if my story is something that you want to talk about, I like to have a good time. Um, you know, I like to interact, and for anybody that wants to be a part of that, I invite you in. That's awesome, JP. I appreciate you very, very much. If you need anything on my end, never hesitate to hit me up, man. Have fun at Warp Tour. Let me know how it works out, man, and we'll be getting in touch with you soon, brother. Thank you very much. I will. Thank you, buddy. All right, have a good one, brother. Bye. Well, there you have it. Um, you guys, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed giving it to you guys. Um, as you see, JP is just one of those cool kind of guys, man, that you, you want to hear him talk more and more. And, um, you know, he's a good good husband, good father, awesome family man, and he's an awesome pillar of the powerlifting community, um, does a lot for the sport, gives back to the sport. So I felt it was only fitting, only right that uh, he could have his story told and that, you know, that you guys be able to, you know, kind of uh, dig a little bit deeper into the person that he is. Um, again, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, if you want any cool gear, you know what I'm saying, like this is my circle gear that I have going on, um, feel free to go to lsmcclain.com. 
if you need any type of coaching, lsmcclain.com. Um, yo, if you just want to know what's going on in my life, guess what? lsmcclain.com. Um, that being said, I hope you guys enjoy the corner of the circle. I've been Ellis McClain. Peace.